Last weekend, um, approximately 1,000 people came through the doors of, of both sides of, of our church here in order to have like trick-or-treating or, or some sort, uh, we call it a, a, a pumpkin party, okay? Because we're not kind of getting into trick-or-treating. We're doing the pumpkin party is what we're doing. But we wanted to do something and people just came and came and came and came and came and it was absolutely wonderful. These things we call outreaches. It's a place for us to reach out and touch our community. Our community community is important, okay? And, and that's where we want to bring the salvation of Jesus Christ into people's lives and see their lives changed for the good, okay? That's our goal. So like when we do the Thanksgiving outreach, we're going to go out in teams and we're going to take like just, just staple groceries. We're going to take staple groceries and we're going to go knock on doors in designated areas and we're going to say, hey, can we please give you these groceries and will you let us pray for you and then invite them to church, talk to them about Jesus. Jesus, if they'll let us, and then move forward. That's what we want to do. We want to show people that God's not mad, that we can, as a church, understand the gospel of Jesus Christ as an invitation. Now, speaking of God not being mad, um, I don't normally do this, but there's been something that I've been wanting to speak on for the last two weeks because there's been something in Christendom for the last four weeks that I pretty much just, you know, I, I just want to, I, I want to touch it, okay? I just want to touch it. Normally I stay out of, you know, the national news, but this one, mm, not so much. Now, it, it's, I'm not getting into politics. I'm not interested in politics at all. I don't care about your politics. Don't care about my politics. Vote your conscience. Move on. My kingdom is not from this world, okay? My kingdom and my president, my king is from heaven, and he said, I'm here as an ambassador. Don't get caught up in the affairs of state. Vote your conscience and move on. But when things get, get uh, purported, when things get put out there as the kingdom of God, that's when I step in. I say, well, wait a minute. Um, I don't know how long you've been coming to the vineyard. I've been coming for about 10 years now, um, just a little more than 10 years. And I want to assure you, believe it or not, that nothing in this building is ever done as casual as it looks. It's never done casually, okay? Believe it or not, everything is planned. We have a reason for everything we do. The lights are dim on purpose, not so that we can have a concert. We're not interested in a concert. We're interested in you interacting with God and not worrying if people are watching you or if you're doing it right, like everybody else, okay? We're just trying to eliminate some of that, the distraction that lets you focus. Maybe you've noticed over the last couple of weeks, months, years, or whatever it is, that most all, most all of the worship music we do here is first person to God like he's sitting right here with us. Because we've come in to sacrifice an offering of praise. We don't bring in goats and sheep anymore and slaughter them like they did in the Old Testament because the, the Scripture says the blood of bulls and goats can never take away the sins of man. We needed Jesus to die for us, and so now we come and we offer up our tithes and our offering, and we, you're not giving it to the church. You're giving it to God. And then you lift up your voice in song. You're not giving it to the church. You're giving it to God. This is our sacrifice, and so we come together. So one of th this is what happened when the Lord said, I want you to plant the vineyard, okay? And I say this because I sat with a, a friend of mine, a law enforcement officer, a um, couple of weeks before I went to, or a week before I went to Africa, and I've been dying to preach on this. And he said, uh, hey, um, how do I answer people who ask us, what is the vineyard? Because this person that asked me still said, well, isn't the vineyard a cult? <laughs> 
<laughs> well, if, let's see, feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, trying to put marriages back together, um, offering forgiveness. to If that's a cult, sign me up, okay? All in Jesus' name. But we're not a cult. Uh, when the Lord asked me, to, we planted a Christian church. We believe in Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us, the Son of God who came down here and lived a perfect life because we are sinful people separated from God. We believe that he was crucified on Calvary for our sins, though he had done no wrong, all of our sin was heaped upon him. And he who knew no sin became sin for us, okay, so that we could be reunited to God. That's what we believe, okay? So two things that, that, that are absolutely going to happen here. Number one, we are going to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love others as ourselves, okay? And we say it this way. We're going to welcome everybody that walks through that door, okay? We're going to chase after Jesus with a reckless abandonment, and we're going to stay out of God's way. So we're going to love him, okay? And, and we are going to stay in the Word. We like to worship, I guess in the first service I said, we're going to worship, and then I included the heart, soul, mind, and strength, okay? And we're going to stay in the Word, okay? Worship and be in the Word. Those are the things that we are going to focus on as hard as we possibly can. So please understand that when we do something around here, we don't do it willy-nilly. We do it on purpose. We do it because we looked in the Bible, and that's what I'm going to do with you today. We looked in the Bible, and we said, Oh, look what God actually says, and that's what we're going to do, and that's how we move forward. And so I want to take you on a little bit of a trip. You can slide that picture over for me if you don't mind, because I saw something show up in the, in the news in, the, in America, in Christendom today, uh, a couple of weeks ago, it showed up, and so I just thought, you know what, I need to just revisit why we do what we do. I want to share with you. I want to lay a foundation. I want you to see the foundation of this church. We do the things we do because of what the Bible says. This is why we allow and do the things that we do here. And I need to show you this foundation because we build a church on a shaky foundation, it's going to fall over. We're going to build a church on the teachings of the Scripture and what it means for us to chase after Jesus himself. And so we're going to jump into this thing. Now, a couple of weeks ago, our worship leader, Jesse, um, got up here and preached a message out of the same passage. I'm going to use the front half of the passage. She used the back half of the passage. I'm going to use the, the passage that talks about um, the main person. She's going to use the passage that talks about racing together. Remember, she said, we're going to race as a team if we race together. Okay? And I'm going to talk about who gets to race. That's what I want to talk about. I want to say, who gets to race? And basically, I want to say, who gets to, to kind of, you know, get up there and actually drive the car? Who gets to be at the risk of, you know, who gets to be in charge? Who gets to do this? Who gets to do that? And who doesn't? How do we determine who has a right and who doesn't? The scripture in the book of Judges is where I'm going to read from. I'm going to read it right out of the Bible. It's going to show up right there, right out of the Bible. Okay? Um, it's going to be the same word. And it's right here in the book of Judges. In the book of Judges, chapter 4, is a woman named Deborah. Now, Judges is a place where they did not have a king. They had a champion, and they had a Moses figure to decide all their, their cases. Okay? And Judges either means the champion of the nation. And remember, God's dealing with a whole nation. Now he's dealing with individuals from many nations. 
okay? So his people are not of this world. He still is going to deal with, uh, with Israel. I'm not, all of the promises he made to Israel still stand. And I'm staying out of the way. I'm a Gentile that gets to come in on the heels of Israel rejecting Jesus, okay? And so like Paul said, you can be thankful that they did because because of that, you get to come in as a Gentile. Well, it was God's plan all along. But let me just share something with you so that I can tell you why we do what we do here at the vineyard, okay? Because it's not done accidentally or incidentally. It's done intentionally. In the book of Judges, chapter 4, it says, after Ehud died, Ehud um, was leading people and uh, had conquered um, a a, a pagan king, and and so um, he became the judge of Israel, and then he died. Okay? And so after Ehud died, it says the Israelites once again did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Okay? Just like all the time, you go to church, you go to church, you go to church, you stop going to church, you die, and then you go back to doing what you did. You know, you start uh, dancing with the wrong people, you're, um, Israel's um, involving themselves in sexually immoral sin, they're um, worshiping pagan gods, they're doing all kinds of nasty things. Okay? So that's what that means. They did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So this is what the Lord did because they ignored the Lord. So the Lord God sold them into the hands of Jabin, the king of Canaan, who uh, reigned in Hazor. Sometimes when things are going crash in your life, God is saying, listen, if you're not going to chase after me, if you don't have time for me, I may put you on hold just a little bit. It's going to hurt, but I need your attention because I want what's best for you. And I'm trying to make your life better. And I want to answer your prayers, but you won't let me. Really, that's really what he's trying to do. And so we have this picture and he puts, uh, he puts them in the hands of this king. It says the commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Hashereth, uh, Higoyim. Because he had 900 iron chariots and he cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years, they cried out for help. For 20 years they put up with this. For 20 years they cried out to God and said, change our circumstance. God, you have got to come down here. God, you have got to meet us. Lord, please hear our cry. Lord, Lord, Lord. They finally cried out. And then it says, Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lipidoth, was leading Israel at that time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites came to her to have their disputes settled, just like Moses was doing. Same thing. She was leading the whole nation of Israel as their primary leader And anybody that had a dispute, a land dispute, a wife dispute, uh, whatever kind of a dispute it had, especially having to do with the law, but not only the law, they brought to Deborah. And Deborah said, this is how it's going to be. Just like Solomon did when he was a king, but Deborah was not a king. She was a prophetess. Okay? I need you to hang on to this. Deborah is a prophetess, okay? And she held court under the palm of Deborah. That's the name of her tree. Do you have trees in your yard? I have three maples. Okay, they named their trees. This was the palm of Deborah. She sat under her tree. If you have a tree in your yard and you sit under it, you can say, this is the tree of Joe, the maple of Joe. I will, I will raise my puppies under the maple of Joe. I have three maple trees, but these will be the maple of Joe. She had the palm of Deborah because she sat there under the shade of this palm tree. And I'm telling you, when I was in Africa, there was a palm tree in this lady's backyard that was about 85 feet tall. It was single-handedly the biggest palm tree I have ever seen in my life. And this lady had a palm tree that she got named after her because that's where she sat. And it goes on to say, she sent for Barak, the son of Abinoam, 
from Kadesh in Naphtali and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun. Lead the way to Mount Tabor, and I will lure Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River and give him into your hands. And then the scripture says, And Barak said to her, If you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I will not go. Very well, Deborah said, I will go with you. But because of the way you are going about this, the honor will not be yours. For the Lord will hand Sisera over to a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh, where he summoned Zebulun and Naphtali. 10,000 men followed him, and Deborah also went with him. Okay? So I want to look at the situation here. I, want, I just want to challenge you and I want to challenge your thinking and I want to challenge your upbringing and I want to say that the only thing that matters at the end of the day is what does the Bible say about what the Bible says. I am not interested in building a church by manipulating the Scripture. It is my goal today to open up the Scripture and show you one, two, three, four how we do this. This is what God said. This is what God did. This is how he interacts. And therefore, this is how we shall live. And that's what we're going to do. Okay, so that's what we're looking at. So when we look at this scripture, let me just start sharing some things with you. We'll be here all day. Number one, Deborah is a prophet. Okay, the scripture says she's a prophetess. That's just because she's a woman. It means the same thing. It has the same role. Okay? Can you see that? You cannot explain away that that scripture said Deborah is a prophetess. Okay? This is what we refer to as the law of usage. God used her as a prophet. Now, Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lippideth, the leading is- was leading Israel at that time. Was leading Israel. The whole nation. Straight up, she was someone that God used to speak to the world. If God needed to get a message across, he spoke down. He said, Deborah, I need you to tell and say and do. And Deborah said, got it. And the whole nation listened to Deborah, woman, to where I'm going. It says in this passage that we just just read, Deborah's a prophet. It says, Deborah sent for Barak. She sent for him. Did you see that? Deborah sent for Barak. Do you see the language in that? Deborah sent for Barak. I'm going to send for them, okay? that's, That's a command. That's somebody who says, listen, I need to see you come over here. I need you to come. She sent for Barak. He had to come. The language suggests that she is his superior, that she is over him in relationship to the leadership of this whole nation. Now, now just understand, he's the leader of all the armies. He's the single primary uh, general of the armies of Israel. And she sends for him. She beckons him. She says, I've got a word I want to share with you from God. I need you to come over here. And Barak says, hey, um, she's not asking his favor. She's not making a suggestion. She sent for him and he came. And then the scripture says that she instructed the commander of the Lord's army, this is the command of God. This is what you are going to do. This is not optional. It's not, again, a suggestion. This is what the Lord told me to tell you, Barak, and you are now going to do this as the commander of the Lord's army. It was an edict. She told him how it was going to be. If Israel, if Israel really treats women historically the way people in America say then why on earth did Barack do what she said 
See, I don't know about you, but I've said in messages where people have told me, you don't understand, in Jewish time, and Jewish culture, women were less than dogs, and then this was that, and, and it's like, I mean, they put women at the bottom, and it's like, duh, duh, duh. Seriously, if that were true, why would the general come and answer to her? If that is actually the culture of Israel, why would she come at his behest? We've got to wrestle with these questions. We've got to look at them. We don't have any record of Barak looking for a soldier to put this woman in her place. He knew his relationship to God. He knew this woman's relationship to God. Barak knew where he fell in the line of order. He's military. And in the military, you don't ask why. When somebody who is your superior says, you, come over here, the answer is, yes, sir, you come. And so we have a picture of that very thing taking place inside of this story, and he comes. But let me tell you what Barak did not say. Barak did not say, go home. He didn't do it. When I heard that, it broke my heart. And I just wanted to clarify our position here as a church. The leader of the Lord's army answered to the woman that God put in charge of the nation. And when she said, Barak, come here, Barak came. And you know he didn't come alone. He came with his men around him like any other person might because he was getting an edict of war. And he shows up and she lays out, thus saith the Lord. He doesn't say, go home. We can handle this. You're just a prophetess. He doesn't do that. The scripture records that he does exactly what he's told. As a matter of fact, just for the record, all the men standing around Barak, and there would have been many men standing around Barak, did not begin to demean or mock Deborah. Did not do that for fear of God himself falling down upon them. They listened to the leader who was a woman in the scripture that I just read for you. And that's the last thing I want to share with you about that particular passage is Barak obeyed Deborah. But he obeyed Deborah only if she would lead him into war. The general needed the leader from God, regardless of her gender, to lead him so that he would know that they would be successful. See? God didn't care, did he? <laughs> he had a person. He put her in charge. Israel won a great victory because Barak wouldn't do his part. He didn't get the, you know, the acclaim from it. Some other woman altogether drove a peg through Sisera's head and, and you know, it all fell apart and all like that. But it did not stop this from happening. If we're to believe what some people in America would tell you, the Scripture says historically about women, we have to ignore this passage. We also have to ignore this one from Proverbs 31. A wife of noble character, who can find? She's worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. She selects wool and flax, works with eager hands. She's like the merchant ships bringing her food from afar. She gets up while it's still light, provides food for her family, and portions for her female servants. She considers a field and buys it. 
Out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for the task. She sees that her trading is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. In her hand, she holds the distaff and grasps the spindle with her fingers. She opens her arms to the poor, extends her hand to the needy. When it snows, she has no fear for her household, for all of them are clothed in scarlet. She makes coverings for her bed. She's clothed in fine linen and purple. Her husband is respected in the city gates where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies the merchants with sashes. She is clothed in strength and dignity and she can laugh at the days to come. She speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. She watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children arise and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them, her husband says. Charm is deceptive, beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Honor her for all that her hands have done and let her works bring her praise in the city gates. What am I missing in this that we would tell women go home? What am I missing in that? That's a woman who's buying land. Historically speaking, you would buy land from other men so she doesn't talk to men. It appears to me that according to the passage, and I believe the passage, that she's buying land. She is a woman of business interest. She is selling what she's making wholeheartedly to merchants. She's selling sashes to them. She is uh, an industrious woman. She is making capital. And just for the record, while her husband's sitting on his behind at at the city gate, okay, and saying wonderful things about her, There's a whole other sermon. Do you sit at the city gates and say wonderful things about your spouse? Or do you badmouth her and put her down? Passage right here says this woman is industrious and incredible things are going on. Yes, I am very aware that in Jesus' day there was the court in the, in the temple in, of Jerusalem. There was the court and men sat there. And then there was the women's court. And then there was the Gentiles' court. So yes, I am understanding. But you know what? I also understand the Amish sit, the men on that side and the women on this side. No, actually the men on this side, the women on that side. You know, they do that too. Oh, it's a cultural thing. Oh, don't like to hear that, do we? We don't want to say cultural because it scares the living daylights out of us. I'm just telling you, what does the Bible say about what the Bible says? This is the deal. What does the Bible say about women? As you and I have to um, not just put up with, and I'm not trying to be mean and nasty, but as we have to stop and say, how shall we live as Christian people if God is calling us to move forward, then how are we going to, where's my other, there it is. Um, how are we going to move forward? How do we see people's availability to God and roles in the church and who can do what and can women talk and, and what can go on? Well, let's just check this out real quick. What does the Bible say about women. Number one, it says the subjugation of women is the result of original sin. That's what it says. The Bible says that. Joe Wood does not say that. The Bible says that. In the book of Genesis chapter 3 verse 16, it says this, to the woman God said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. Anybody here believe that God actually did that? There you go. Yes. At one point I had fingernail marks to prove it. Okay. All right. It says, with painful labor, you will give birth to children because of your sin. Your desire, here it comes, will be for your husband and he will rule over you. The subjugation of women to men came as a result of the original sin in the Garden of Eden. Okay? I just showed it to you. I'm willing to have a discussion about it, but that's, that's where it is right there. As a result, 
Your desire will be for your husband, but he will rule over you because of your sin, okay? And so we recognize that that's what's going on. The subjugation of women came because of the sin in the Garden of Eden, okay? Jesus paid the price for original sin. Yes or no? Okay. Jesus paid the price for men. Jesus paid the price for women. Or Jesus paid the price for everybody. Okay, let's just talk about this for a second. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. Don't think I've come to do away with 613 commandments which comprise the law of Moses and are the reason for how we will live our lives. And women will be subject to men. It's in there. It's in there. It's in the 613 commandments. But it started in the Garden of Eden. Jesus said, don't think I've come to do away with that. Oh, Pastor Joe, now it sounds like you're talking out of both sides of your mouth. <laughs> of course I am, just to string you along, okay? He says, I have come not to abolish the, the, the commandments, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law. There he goes. There it is. Oh, you think I forgot to finish reading it, didn't I? Because most people do. They stop reading right there. Until everything is accomplished. What's Jesus talking about? What's the everything that needed to be accomplished? He only came to earth for one purpose. That was to set you and I free from the law of sin and death. That's the only thing he came to do. You know what came as a result of the law of sin and death? The subjugation of women. He said, he said, I'm going to stay here. I'm going to live my life. I'm going to be the perfect sacrifice. And until I die and I'm resurrected, you are beholden to the temple and to the synagogue and to 613 commandments as long as I'm alive. But you remember what he said at the Last Supper? This is my body broken for you. He paid the debt. He paid the debt. The book of Hebrews says the bulls of blood and go uh, excuse me the blood of bulls and goats could never take away the sins of man it only covered it for a season every single year they had to go back and they had to go back to the 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 um, sacrificial uh, uh, of atonement they had to sacrifice to, for their sins for the whole year. You got to sin for a whole year and then you had to go back and sacrifice bulls and goats and it would cover your sins but it wouldn't take it away. Imagine this. You owe $10,000 but as long as you're paying the interest you don't have to pay the principal. You can keep your car. All you got to do is pay the $85 every month or whatever it is that the interest would be. Just keep paying that. Just keep paying that. Just keep paying that. The problem is pretty soon what you've got isn't worth anything and the principle is still owed. And so Jesus came down here to pay the principle. He took away the sin itself. God made him who had no sin at all to become sin for us, the scripture says. He became sin. And all of our sin was heaped upon him on Calvary. And Jesus said, this is my body broken for you. But what did he say when he picked up the cup? But this is the cup of the new covenant. Not one dot, not one tittle, not one jot, not one tittle will pass away from the law until everything has been accomplished. And then he said, but this cup is the cup of the new covenant. You can't have an old covenant and a new covenant at the same time. You, can't, you only can have one will. The newest will always supersedes the older will. Always. Okay? Paul says so in the book of Romans. Or Romans. 
And so what happens is he dies on a cross. It says, when he received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. What's finished? The payment for the curse. What was the curse? The subjugation of women. We, we need to be set free from it. Yes, we still have pain in childbirth. We still do. But we're set free. You know, I mean, we could chase it down and say, well, we have drugs. But, but guess what? Men are willing to put air conditioners in their tractors so that they don't have to earn their living by the sweat of their brow. They want to listen to K-Love while they're going down the, the row. And they want the air conditioner to work. They need it. And yet the scripture says they have to earn their living by the sweat of their brow, the sweat. So if you have a job that does not cause you to sweat to earn your living, you, you see, you can't say it's metaphoric for women, but it's real for men. You can't say it's real for men, but metaphoric for women. Either it's real or it's real. So we would say, okay, everybody has to have a job where they sweat every single day in order to be under the curse. But Jesus set us free from the curse. When Jesus said, it is is finished. He's speaking of what he came here for. He came to set you free from the law of sin and death. Therefore, he set you free from the curse of the law of sin and death. Paul told the church in Corinth, let's just keep going and look at scripture. Paul told the church in Corinth that a woman can prophesy. Wait a second. What is prophesy? He said she had to have her head covered, but he said that her long hair is her covering. And so we have to stop and say, what is long hair? Does my wife have long hair? Do I have long hair? Who has long hair? Say, is my wife's hair long? Not really. It's about shoulder length. If I had my wife's hair, I would be a happy guy, but if I had my wife's hair, would I have long hair? Oh, yeah, you would have long hair. Jesus was an Essene. He never cut his hair. His hair was longer than hers, I would, I would suggest. See? What are you going to do with that? What I'm going to suggest is there's things that we do not understand. But Paul told the church in Corinth, but every woman that prays and prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. So therefore, as long as her head's covered, she is allowed to pray and prophesy. She's allowed to do that, okay? In the same, it's the same as having her head shaved. He goes on to say that her hair is her covering, that culturally speaking, honestly, if her hair is cut, is it a sin? If her hair is shaved, is it? If a woman's head was shaved, it was because she was found out to be immoral, adulterous, or a prostitute. And so they shaved her head bald to get rid of her glory. Your hair is your glory. Look at you. Your hair is all your glory. It's, it's gorgeous. It's beautiful. It's your glory. Look at my hair. You know, you walk past the mirror and you're like, yeah, 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 I look good. You know, you do that. Because right? your hair is beautiful. It is. And you get it cut just right so that it reflects on you, that you look pretty. And Paul is just saying your hair is your glory and you should have your head covered. But what I want to focus on is um, we're told that women are supposed to be silent and not teach. And Paul says that you can prophesy if you're a woman. Which is it going to be? Because the same guy is the one saying both things. <laughs> is he spiritually schizophrenic? He's saying both things. Prophesying is retelling reminding us, that word means to remind us what God said, to tell us what God is saying, or to tell us what God says is coming. That word prophesy means all three of those things. Remind us what God said, 
tell us what God is saying, and foretell is what, what is coming. And most of us just want the foretelling part. So we've got God telling the church in Corinth, which is in Turkey, what we know is Turkey today, that it's okay for a woman to speak out and, and to, and to um, elaborate and to teach what God is telling them inside, because it, it's still teaching. It still comes across as teaching, thus saith the Lord, as long as her head is covered. But then Paul told Tim, uh, um, Timothy in Ephesus, which is in Greece, he said, a woman should learn in quietness and full sub, uh, submission, and I do not permit a woman to teach or assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. You can't have it both ways. And I'm not saying the scripture is wrong. What I'm saying is there's something we don't understand. We have all of Paul's answers, but we don't have any of the questions that were sent to him concerning the circumstances of what was going on in these towns. And I'm telling you, I believe that some of this stuff is in fact circumstantial or cultural. You say, oh, you can't say that. You can't say that, Pastor Joe. As soon as you say something's cultural, then everybody can sin and do whatever they want. So everything has to apply to everything. Everybody. Okay, okay, okay. Sell everything you've got, give to the poor, and come and follow me. <laughs> we're back to that one from last week, right? How come that one doesn't apply to you? Why, when Jesus told the rich young man, sell everything you've got, give, and, uh, give to the poor, and come and follow me, you don't own that one? Well, because it was circumstantial. <laughs> sure. And we don't understand what Paul was doing, but we recognize that he, the same guy that said women should be quiet, that's who was being quoted in the news, Paul, in that verse, the same, same guy said, it's okay for you women to prophesy, to preach, to proclaim the, the Word of God as long as you've got your head covered. So we've got to understand there's something that we don't get. And remember, Jesus said, I came that I might set the captive free. Just for fun, just for fun, I want you to listen to what Paul actually said when he wrote to Timothy. I urge you, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases our God, who wants all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. That's God's whole will. He wants people to come to Jesus and salvation. For there is one God, one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men, the testimony given at his proper time. And for this purpose, I was appointed a herald and an apostle. And I'm telling you, the truth. I'm not lying. And a teacher of the true faith of the Gentiles. I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer without anger or disputing. When do you think we'll start doing that, guys? When do you, when do you think that when somebody starts going, all right, let's pray, everybody will lift up their hands like the Bible says? That's not circumstantial. This is Paul saying, how do we operate inside of a fellowship? I want people to surrender to me, lift up their hands, and pray. Men. Men. Well, let's just skip over that because we don't like it. We're going to skip it. I also want women to dress modestly. Now, that's what needs to be preached right there. No, let's go back and preach. I want men to lift up their holy hands. No, go, go back to the woman thing. <laughs> Come on, man. It's not a buffet. This is the Word of God. You don't get to pick and choose. It says, I also want women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, not with broided or braided hair, however you want to read that, or gold or pearls, expensive clothes. What's expensive clothes? You have expensive clothes on? I've got my jeans, my new ones from TJ Maxx. That's not expensive. 
Are they expensive because I bought them at TJ Maxx or are they expensive because of who made them? I'm just asking for a friend. <laughs> I got my nice sweater. It was a little more expensive. I didn't get it at TJ Maxx. I got it somewhere else that I like to shop. But it was expensive. However, I've been wearing it for nine years. Honestly. I've been wearing it for nine years. Somebody came in this morning and said, that is a nice sweater. It's like, I've been wearing it for nine years and you haven't noticed it until today? Seriously? Why do I even shop? Oh my word. My dad says that every time I wear it, it gets cheaper. I'm not sure how that works, but it was still the same amount of money. But every time I wear it, it costs less to wear it per money that I spent. And it's like, I don't care. I, what I care is what came out of my check account. Not how many times, but there it is. But the scripture says, don't dress in expensive clothes. I read you the part about not shaving or cutting your hair, right, from the church in Corinth. And then it says, don't wear expensive clothes and don't uh, put uh, gold on and don't wear pearls. I wonder how many people, if we turned all the lights on, ladies in here are wearing gold jewelry and maybe a couple of you wearing pearls. Just for the record, the guy that told that woman to be quiet, I might have gone and sought out his family picture where his wife had a haircut like David Bowie. Seriously. And she was wearing gold earrings and expensive clothes. <laughs> Isn't it funny how when we want to put or keep somebody down, we just pick and choose the scriptures that we want to use and ignore the other ones that apply to us. It's a dangerous thing to do. Either Paul was applying leadership principles to different churches because there were different questions or we have to admit that he was spiritually schizophrenic and I don't think he was what I've just shared with you is straight out of scriptures I have nothing to gain by doing it maybe you've come in here and you've wondered why I would let Jesse come up here and why Pastor Janice will preach sometimes it has nothing to do believe it or not with their relationship to me. It has more to do with their relationship to Jesus that I can see readily. And they have been with us from the beginning. They understand what this church stands for. They understand the values. They understand the Christian principles. And I am not going to put women in bondage because they are physically different than me. I'm not going to do it. I used to. I did. I was as narrow-minded as the, the, the most could be. But to the women in this room, you are filled with the same Jesus as me. You are filled with the same uh, spirit as me. You are part of the same kingdom as me. You are washed by the same blood as me. You are led by the same spirit as me. You are not and there are not second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. Amen. There aren't. So I can't say go home. That is sinful and not a kingdom value. What was it Paul said? There is neither Greek nor Jew, Scythian nor bond, and there is neither male nor female. In the eyes of God he's imparting gifts to you you are called to the same mission ladies that I am 
And just for the record, God will define your calling and what he's calling to you, not some religious people sitting somewhere trying to protect their spiritual fiefdom. With all due respect. It's not about me. It's about God inside of you. And I did not have to manipulate any of these scriptures. All I had to do was read them to you straight up and let you see that when there is confusion in the scripture, we're going to go to where Jesus said, I have come to set the captive free. And if I as a man have been set free from the curse because of what Jesus did on Calvary, then I can't say you aren't you still have to be subject to it. Either everybody's set free or nobody's set free. See, that's the way it works. My wife will never be a husband. She'll never be a father. I'll never be a wife. I'll never be a mother. I get that. But once we start getting into the work of the kingdom of God, if God has filled you up and called you to something, I am not going to be the person telling you, go home, sit down, be quiet. It doesn't mean I'm going to hire everybody that walks in here and says, I'm called, give me a job. We can. <laughs> but I'm not going to hinder you either. There is a place for everybody in the kingdom of God. And one of the most significant values of the Vineyard Church movement from 1974 is everybody gets to play because the Holy Spirit invests himself into everybody. So whether it's healing power, whether it's a word of knowledge, whether it's the prophetic, we still believe in that. What we don't believe in is in sensationalizing that. That is not the goal. The goal is make disciples. The power is from the Holy Spirit to do it. But the goal is make disciples. So the question is, in all of that, are you a disciple? Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? Is God investing in you? Ladies, just for a split second, on behalf of the kingdom of Jesus Christ, can I just apologize to you for men who have told you you have to sit down, be quiet, or go home? I'm sorry. That is not the truth. That is not the kingdom of God. God welcomes you in. He proved it by even using Deborah. He used a woman as a leader to instruct people, thus saith the Lord. I just read it to you. So something's happened. And I think it's just our humanity. If you have been hurt by the church, put down by the church, held back by the church, called less than by the church, marginalized by the church, can we pray for you this morning? Can you just leave that bitterness here so it does not stop you? from receiving the things that God wants to do through you. Can we do that? Beyond that, I needed you to understand who we are as the vineyard. Because our foundation has to be Scripture. It has to be Scripture. And we can't deviate from it. But there's a reason for everything that we do here and why we're willing or why we won't. It's not just done namby-pamby. We want to chase after God. Fathers, we come before you. I just ask and pray that you would sweep over this room. I pray for the men as well. God, raise up harvesters. 
raise up church planters, raise up speakers, raise up small group leaders, raise up ministers, raise up musicians, raise up singers, raise up coffee makers, raise up children's workers, raise people that are looking for an opportunity to be used in the kingdom of God, to grow in their gift, to grow in their calling, to grow in the ministry, because it's, the time is short. Beyond that, God, I pray for healing for people. I pray for love for people. I pray against bitterness in people. And we just invite you, come Holy Spirit.